Well, it's good uh, to be back um, with you. Uh, I've, I was in China the last uh, 10 days, kind of up until this week, and uh, I'm not fully here yet. I've been waking up at 2 a.m. Uh, the last few nights because uh, my body's still on, on China um, uh, time. But, uh, but it's, it's good to be back with you and, and good to continue in our, our series on virtues and, um, and vices that, uh, that one of our core commit, commitments as a church has, has always been uh, that to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus, to be someone who's intentionally following after the way of Jesus, trying to become more and more like him with our, our lives. And so uh, for hundreds of years, one of the ways the church has thought about that is through this category of virtues and, and vices, that, that we all, as human beings, have certain ways of going about uh, the world in which we live, certain habits we, we acquire, certain ways of reacting that are automatic within us. And that over time, if we're not uh, cultivating virtuous habits, good habits, uh, we're naturally going to become uh, more vice-filled. And so we've been spending uh, the last few weeks looking at different virtues, different vices, and today's vice is gluttony. And so before I jump into that, I want to pray and ask for, for God's help before we tackle the subject of gluttony. So let's, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, would you let us hear what you plan to speak this morning? That your word says you speak peace to your people, so would you give us ears to hear that peace you have for us? For the glory of Christ, we pray and ask this. Amen. Well, the sin of, of gluttony is, or the vice of gluttony, is one for me that is, that is personal. The first time that I was given the title pastor, I was 20 years old, which is even stupider than it sounds. <laughs> it sounds pretty stupid. Um, then at 20, I took a, I took a job um, at a, as a part-time youth pastor at a church that was about an hour from where I went to, to college. And I was excited for that because I had largely thought that most of what being a pastor was, was, um, was teaching the Bible to people. And I loved that. I enjoyed that. And, and even the first book I taught to our students, they were mostly middle schoolers, I picked the book of Ezekiel because it's really, it's a weird book. And I thought it would fit well with middle school. And that, it kind of worked. Um, the weirdness uh, fit. And, and I was, that part was worked and it was good. And I was ready to teach the Bible. Um, but teaching the Bible is very different than being a pastor. That being a pastor means getting into the mess of, of people's lives. And that part I was, I was not ready for. I wasn't ready when I got the call from uh, my friend Barb at church. She had kicked her husband, Gail, out of, out of the house. I mean, he was literally in the front yard at that point, And she wanted me to come and get him to leave. So I had to drive. And I was 20 years old. I had no idea what to do. I listened to story after story from our students of, of, of sexual abuse, of um, one student had watched her brother die, another uh, student, or not many students had broken homes, um, and I, I just wasn't ready for the mess of life. I wasn't ready for that wreckage, and I did my best listening to them, tr helping, praying for, for them, but every Sunday I drove home uh, from my, my work, just spiritually empty, exhausted, um, starving in a way. And so one of the, the primary ways that I began to deal with the spiritual starvation I was experiencing was, was trying to fill my spiritual emptiness with physical food. And the more I pastored, the more pa this pattern grew in my life. 
And I, I didn't have any idea what I was doing at the time. Um, it, it would take about seven years before I realized um, that, that eating had become my prime way of dealing with the wreckage that I was, was working through as a pastor that I had developed the vice of gluttony within me. And it would take, it would take getting married and it would take um, realizing I'd gained a lot of weight before I understood this had become the pattern with which I was dealing with the spiritual brokenness I was encountering. But you have to understand that it was not about, it wasn't about food. And I can almost promise you, you struggle with the sin of gluttony, even if you eat healthy. The gluttony, it's, it's not about food, ultimately. Food is the best illustration and the most vivid illustration of what gluttony is, but gluttony is not about food. Gluttony is about stuffing ourselves with pleasure because we are spiritually starving. So what, what does that mean? Well, let me unpack uh, the sermon three ways. We're gonna, three things we're going to look at. Um, the fact that we do stuff ourselves with, with pleasures. Two, because we are spiritually starving. And, and thirdly, how can we be full? How can we be spiritually full so that we don't need to turn to pleasure to fill ourselves? Um, so point one, uh, we stuff ourselves with, with pleasure. As I mentioned a second ago, typically gluttony has been connected mostly with food, and that's for good reason, because gluttony is a really good picture, or food is a really good picture of what gluttony is. Let's take a look at this really uh, creepy picture of um, gluttony painted in the the 1400s by a guy named Hieronymus Bosch. Um, It's it's really disturbing. There's a picture from China in the background. I don't know how that works. I I shouldn't make my own slides, but (laughs) just, just focus not on the meal I ate in China. Focus on the creepy, that thing, whatever that is. Um... But, uh, but the huge open mouth, and inside that huge open mouth is, um, is another man. One is, is throwing up. Another man is, is being forced drink by someone else who's giving him the drink. But what's most interesting to me is the empty table, which I think symbolizes a couple things. One is that all the food's been eaten. But two, gluttony or stuffing ourselves with pleasure, ultimately, it's an empty feast. It's, it's, there's an emptiness to it. And so this image, it works for gluttony, but again, gluttony, it's, it's not just about food. And so uh, Rebecca DeYoung, in her book, Glittering Devices, she, she defines gluttony like, like this. If there's anything simple about gluttony, it is, the focus, is, it, is its focus on pleasure, one's own pleasure, excessive pleasure, immediate, tangible pleasure. So the idea is gluttony is, is we turn to pleasure as a way to deal with our spiritual starvation. And that's what the, the book of Proverbs is warning us against. Proverbs 23 is warning us against. It's a warning against pursuing pleasure first. And it warns in two ways. First about food, but then secondly about wealth. And so the first three verses, they're, they're, they're about food. And what you have is a king who has invited you to eat at his banquet. And he's put in front of you uh, an amazing feast with all the, the best foods that you can imagine to eat. A spread that would make uh, Thanksgiving look like, like nothing to us. But the king has an agenda. And his hope is you'll keep eating and eating. And the more you eat, the more he can get from you what it is that he wants. The behind the pleasure is not more pleasure. It's a trap. It's it's to ensnare you. It's to force you into the will of the king. And it's actually, it's a brilliant metaphor about how gluttony works. That at first glance, there's pleasure. Good tasting things. Eat your heart out. But the pleasure, ultimately, the more you indulge it, the more joy you don't get out of it. 
The more, the more you indulge the pleasure, the more trapped you get. Snared into the agenda of a king. And so it's, it's a warning. Don't live for the moment. That if, you are, if, you're such, if you're so given to appetite, so given to pleasure, that you're just going to eat, you need, put a knife to your throat. That's what the Proverbs author says. Because there's a deceptive nature to pleasure. The more you indulge, the more trapped you get. So the first warning, it's, it's very explicitly about food. The second, though, is it's about wealth. And I want to reread verses 4 and 5 because my fear is there, many of us will hear this sermon and only think through the lens of food. But I, wa- I want us to think through the lens of pleasure, not, not necessarily only food. Verses 4 and 5 again. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts rings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. At the pleasure of wealth, it, it is, it's fleeting. You long for something, you set your eyes on it to get it, to buy it, to experience it. And the moment you get it, you forget. It's gone. The pleasure is gone the moment you experience it. That, uh, I heard Andrew use an illustration like this uh, last week. But, um, but I used to say like the only piece, the only gift or like piece of technology I ever got that I didn't regret, that I did, like its pleasure never went away, uh, was my iPod, um, which my guess is none of you have iPods anymore. I don't have an iPod anymore. Like every piece of technology, everything I think I really need, eventually the pleasure wears off. It goes away. It's less enticing. It's less interesting. And that's why the, the, the author is saying here, don't live for pleasure. Don't live for wealth. The moment you have it, it sprouts wings and it flies away on you. And so he's, he has this line uh, which is, are you, is, is be discerning enough to desist, which is a, it's a Bible way of saying, basically, can you say no to pleasure? Are you able to say no? And I think just take one broad look at our culture, and I think the answer to that question is obvious for us. The average American home has 300,000 items in it. What possibly could we use all of that stuff for? The average American household is, um, has $17,000 of credit card debt. The total debt in America, not including home mortgages, according to the Federal Reserve, it's, it's $4 trillion. That doesn't even include our own government's um, debt as well. That we, we need pleasure, we need things, we need experiences, we need, we need more so much we're willing to go into debt for it. I mean, we should, we should hear Proverbs 23 in light of our current context. We're getting snared. We're getting trapped. We are, in the words of the Proverbs author, we're not discerning enough to desist. We can't say no. And just to be clear, I have the same problem, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not up here like, hey, you guys are terrible. I mean, you need to look at me. I, I do not think that. In fact, I, I confessed this to my wife earlier. Like, when it, when it comes to our own budgeting, our own spending plan, uh, when Misty wants to, like, spin beyond the budget and gets, you know, indulge in some pleasure that's her idea, that's when I become, like, Mr. Budget Man, fiscal conservative, like, you know, I don't think we can afford this. We probably shouldn't do Like, that's when I become, like, all about the budget. But then when it's, like, something I want to do and is going to indulge some of my pleasure, then it's like, well, I mean, we'll find some money somewhere. Like, we can figure this out, right? Like, that point, I, I just, so I, this is my problem um, as well. I already mentioned my own problem with, with food with respect to gluttony, but the reality is we, we want pleasure and we cannot say no. And so we spend. And the reason for this is, is gluttony. It's an addiction to pleasure. 
And to push into why you and I do this, like why, why is this such a, such a significant vice for us? I want to talk about uh, kind of two, two aspects of gluttony. And I'm, I'm going to continue to use eating as the, the metaphor, but it, two things about gluttony, how we eat and what we eat. So for like what we, what we eat, that, that even a hundred years ago, uh, things that are, are, we would consider, consider sumptuous or like really rich food or desserts or meats, they were very rare in diets. Things like ice cream or cake or delicacies, meat, they were expensive, they were hard to get. And so unless you were very wealthy, you could rarely afford them. But today, like, you can, you can eat just about whatever you want very quickly and very inexpensively. But beyond that, think about just how much disposable income we have at our fingertips. Even those of us who are middle class or lower middle class, the, the goods it takes for us to just to, to live on subsistence level, it's far cheaper than what it used to be. We have so much more disposable incomes. And so we can, we can afford vacations. We can afford video games. We can afford movies. We can afford just about whatever food or drink we want. We can afford just about any hobby or leisure activity we want. Even when I was a seminary student, a poor, like not making a ton of money, I could experience a lot of things that 100 years ago would not have been possible to the vast majority of the human race. That you and I have to understand, there is so much pleasure at our, at our fingertips, and we can afford it. <laughs> and yet, before I push further there, I want to take a step back just to say, I want to be really clear that pleasure is not bad. It is a good thing. God invented it. It's his idea. He wants us to experience pleasure. And yet, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to one of his, his young friend Timothy, he warned Timothy of a time when people would become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of, of God. A time when people would pursue pleasure more than they would pursue God. I, listen, I think that, that describes our day. That's today for us. You and I, we have more pleasurable experiences. We, the what we eat is just about whatever we want. It used to be like people had they, the, the context or their money or the experiences available to them. That said no to them, but the reality, you and I can say yes to almost anything. So first, what we eat, right? We have all of this available to us, but secondly, how we eat. And this is the, the more traditional form of what we think about gluttony is that, is that we eat too much, we eat past the point of being full, you know, we shovel uh, food in too quick, we eat too fast, and we know we're no longer hungry, but we cut, keep um, eating. We, we know we don't have any more money to spend, but we keep spending the gluttony, ultimately, it's the inability to say no to pleasure. As I mentioned a, a while back, I've I, I just been a week in China, and um, one of the things we did was we spent four days at a conference there. Uh, it was pretty amazing to be part of it. It was actually, in, in many ways, a truly historical event. 4,000 Chinese Christians, a Chinese-led conference. It was amazing to be a part of. And so uh, the, half the speakers were American, um, half the speakers were Chinese pastors. I, I set, tried to sit in on as many of the Chinese pastor uh, sessions as I could. And what, what astounded me is every one of them that I sat in on warned the people, their, their, their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ from China, about the same thing. The same warning to, to, to them, it came up again and again and again from the Chinese speakers, not so much the American speakers. And the warning, it was this. The Chinese economy in the last 10 to 50 years, it, it's, it's taken off. There, there's a lot more wealth in China today than there was 15, 20 years ago. The growth has been astounding. And, and yet I didn't hear any of those pastors celebrating that growth. Instead, they warned their people time and time again, do not be led astray by wealth and by pleasure and be, be led away from God. 
that the warning was, listen, you have this new life available to you where you can now make your life about something other than God and don't do it. As I heard that warning, I, I was convicted in my own self. And I even, listen, I began to think about the context of the American church. And, and the reality is there is so much you can pursue that has nothing to do with God. Or is that there's a pleasurable life that, is, that will continually and, and more and more move you apart from a life with God. As, as Paul warned Timothy, you become a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. And so as I, I first was reflecting on these realities, well, it was like, okay, well, how, how do I know when enough is enough, right? That feels like the right question. But, but Rebecca DeYoung in her book, Glittering Vices, says that's not the right question. Right? The question isn't like, how much do I get away with? And then I, I no, her, the questions we should be asking ourselves when it comes to gluttony, when it comes to taking in pleasure, it's, it's not, when is enough enough? The question is, how dominated by pleasure am I? How much does pleasure control me? Does it cause me to spend money that I do not have? Does it cause me to eat things I, I don't really need? Does it cause me to make decisions I wouldn't make? Can I, can I just walk away? The reality is we're, we are in a culture where we stuff ourselves with pleasure, with food, with experiences, with wealth. That's point one. But the reason we do that is because we are, we are spiritually starving. Um, the Frederick Buechner uh, once wrote, A glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. And I would just update that quote to say, uh, A glutton is one who raids the icebox and Amazon for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. And yeah, I, I want to say again, I don't, want, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Pleasure is not a bad Thing. And this is one of the things that actually makes it difficult about being a Christian. If, if there are other religions that just say all pleasure is bad, like move to a mountain somewhere, and you should cut yourself off from, from any uh, attachment to worldly goods. The Bible does not say that. Pleasure is good. All of these things that give us joy, they are God's idea. The pleasure, according to the Bible, is a good thing that God means for you to experience. But that's also what makes the vices so dangerous, is that every vice, uh, with the exception of envy, it takes something that's really good, and it, it either makes it the ultimate end of your life or it, it enlarges it in such a way that it becomes the chief end of your life so that you abuse it and it actually doesn't become a pleasurable thing anymore. Because listen, I, I would say the experience of pleasure that we have as human beings is one of the most uh, compelling evidences for the existence of God there is. Right, so I spent a week in China, two of those days in a city called Kunming, and I love the, the food there. It's amazing. And I don't know if you've ever thought about, like, why do we as human beings, like, why don't we have, like, little pills we eat for sustenance? And why do we, like, create really interesting food with lots of flavor, lots of meats, vegetables? Different, I mean, they, the Chinese people have, like, a million different ways of preparing rice, and they're all good. Like, it's, it's just creative. It's interesting. Why do we, have you ever wondered why we do And to me, the reason we do that is because God gave us this creation full of rich tasting food to experience and to take in, to have pleasure. Pleasure is a good Thing. But what, what gluttony does is it makes pleasure the ultimate end of your life, the goal of your life, the prime thing you think about within your life. And I would say, like, as Americans, we don't just do that. Like, that's our cultural motto is be, have pleasure. Like, do what makes you happy. Experience as much pleasure as, as you can. 
So, for example, it uh, didn't take me long to look. What's, what's playing on the radio right now? Uh, Bruno Mars' song um, out right now. It's a long list of, and I like Bruno Mars, so just no hating, but this song, I just can't connect with it. And it's, what it is, it's a, it's a song where he just details all of the things that he loves to do that gives him, give him pleasure. Things like lobster tail for dinner, shopping sprees in Paris, sh- strawberry champagne on ice. I don't get that one, I have to be honest. I get the shopping sprees in Paris, lobster tail, but sh- strawberry champagne, I don't get that. Um, but the song, you got it if you want it, right? That's, that's the lyric of the song over and over again. Pursue what makes you happy. Get pleasure. Uh, make the center of your life about what makes you happy, what gives you joy. We've made gluttony as a culture our motto, <laughs> the way we pursue life. And ultimately, it, it doesn't work. I mean, celebrities often are the, the greatest example of that. They get every pleasurable experience they want, and they self-destruct in the end because the more you eat, the more, the more you're trapped. The more you indulge pleasure, the more you're stuck. But if you make your life about pursuing pleasure, if you make your life about gluttony, it won't, it won't work. And there are three reasons why it won't work. First is that you and I, we are more than our appetites. Human beings, we are physical beings, physical animals, but we're not only physical animals. We're spiritual beings as well. And if you try to to stuff yourself with physical things only, there's still a hole within you that that cannot be filled by physical goods or pleasures. I said a minute ago, pleasure, it's a good thing. God created it. He wants you to enjoy it. But pleasure was always meant to point beyond itself to a creator, to someone who made you and made these experiences for you, to put you in a place of thankfulness and reception, not just to be a pleasure as an end in itself. And our appetites were always meant to point beyond themselves to that creator. And, and that's why gluttony will never work, because you're not just a physical being. We are more than our appetites. The second reason gluttony it won't work is because we are not in control of our happiness. And as Americans, we want to be, but we are not in control of our happiness. And that, that's, really, that's, that's what I was doing um, as a pastor when I first turned to food as a, as a pleasurable experience to counteract the spiritual emptiness I was experiencing in serving the church because that, that was something I could control. I could not control the people's lives around me on Sunday morning that were falling, around, falling apart, just self-destructing, and, and, and just were draining the life out of me. I could not control that. What I could control is the pleasurable experience of food. I could control that, and I did. And what gluttony is, ultimately, it is, it is pride. It is saying to God, I'm in control of my own happiness. I'm in control of my own life. And I want pleasure that I can, can wrap in a bow and have control over and go to whenever I want instead of looking to you as my ultimate source of joy and satisfaction. And yet that doesn't work either because at some point the money runs out. At some point... Uh, how, how pleasure works is that the more you get, the more you give, the less you get in return. You have to eat more to get more pleasure. The, the reality is you and I have to come to terms with we are not in control of our own happiness. We are created beings living underneath a creator who controls our destiny. And if we're going to find joy and satisfaction in life, it's only going to come from him. We can't grab it ourselves. Wealth can't buy it for us. Food can't experience it for us. The gluttony, ultimately, it's, it's pride. It's saying, I want to experience pleasure now. And God, if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to grab it for myself. The third reason uh, gluttony, it, it doesn't work in the end, is that our cravings, they're ultimately only met temporarily. This is what I find inter- just interesting about eating. Like you eat, 
But you're going to have to get hungry again and get more food. And of course, when Jesus taught us to pray, he sort of wanted us to enter into this rhythm. Pray for your daily bread, right? There's a rhythm to life of, of you eat, and then you don't, and then you eat, and then you're hungry, and then you eat. That we experience pleasure, but then it goes away. We taste it, and then it's, it's gone. And that's meant for, I think, for us to learn for God to be our source of joy, for God to be our provider. And so he sends his daily bread. He sends his sunsets every day. He sends laughter. He sends pleasure. And we're meant to take it in to receive it and to turn around and give him thanks. That that is the ultimate purpose of pleasure, is to see, in it, a, as, to see it as a gift from God for us because he has our good in mind. Because ultimately what gluttony does, it's, if you struggle with gluttony, it's not that you love pleasure too much. Then in those days when I, when I was not using food as a good thing, my problem is not that I loved food too much. It's that I loved it too little. I think our problem is that we love pleasure too little. That when you make pleasure like the chief end, the goal of your life, you're, actually, you're abusing it in a way. Right? You're, actually, you're not using it as a, as a thing uh, uh, in and of itself for its good. You're, you're using it only because it can give you something, only because it gives you a feeling, or only because it gives you an experience that you want, which is really a way of, of cheapening it, of lessening it. But when you receive it as a gift from, from God, it, it enters into a new context, it enters into a new reality. And I think C.S. Lewis put this best. Um, when he wrote this, he said, It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. All right, we don't love pleasure too much, he says. We love it too little. Our, our desires, they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, what Lewis is saying is that you and I, we, we find these experiences of pleasure and we just stop there. And really what those things are doing is meant to enter us into a world of a creator God who has far more for you to experience and to know and to live than just that one moment of joy that whatever the pleasure is has given you. It's, it's meant to enter you into a new world, not to stop there. That to be a glutton is to be far too easily pleased. And so we, we stuff ourselves with pleasure because we're spiritually starving. So how do we become spiritually full? How do we get full? So the gluttony does not become an option for us. And there, there's two ways to answer that. One is what you and I have to do, and two is what we have to be given. And first, what, what we must do, that if you remember back to the first sermon uh, in 2 Peter, when, when Peter talked about us being, having a virtuous life, one of the things he said over and over again in that passage was you have to make every effort. You have to, you have to try at this. You have to work at this. And so for you and I, when it comes to working at our, our gluttony, there's two spiritual disciplines you and I need to practice. One uh, should be obvious, and that, that's fasting. But if you want to know how dominated by pleasure you are, take away the things that give you pleasure. So for example, uh, um, I know we're in a strand of, of Christianity that doesn't, doesn't li- always like Lent, but the first couple times that I, I tried to do a, like a, a fast during Lent, it was like give up pizza or give up chocolate. During, like it was a really soft fast, but for me it was a big deal. But the real, like whatever it was I was fasting from, I actually I, I didn't make it the full uh, 46 days. 
And neither did my friends. And we sort of laughed about that. Like, ah, you know, we're, we're not Catholic. We're Protestants. So we couldn't make it through, through Lent. Uh, and we, but the reality is that actually that's, that should have been disturbing to me. That I couldn't say no to something just for 46 days. That fasting is this reality where you just you say no. Which is what gluttony ultimately is, is what you can't do. is You can't say no. And so fasting should be a part of, of our regular rhythm uh, as Christians. And yet the fact that it's not really a regular part of, of rhythm within the American church should be a warning to us. And when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, right after prayer, he talks about fasting. And when he talks about fasting, he doesn't say, if you get around to fasting, he actually says, when you fast. Fasting is an assumption that Jesus has for us and for his disciples. And because he knows our hearts, he knows how dominated by pleasure we are. So if you want to fight gluttony, fast from something. See if you can walk away. See if you can say no. But the other spiritual discipline, the one I am confident we will all practice, um, it's celebration, which may seem like a weird spiritual discipline in light of gluttony. It's like, so Tim, you're telling, you're telling me, like, don't overeat, and then you're telling me to go to a feast and celebrate, and that's a part of how you overcome. And yes, because the answer to gluttony is not for us to renounce pleasure. It's to put it in its proper place, that the virtue that contrasts the vice of gluttony, it's, it's not starvation. It's not the denial of pleasure. It's temperance. It's the ability to enter into pleasure and experience it and to see it as a gift from God and then to, to back away and to say, no, which I think that means that fighting gluttony requires a healthy degree of celebration. I found this interesting. Even, even monks uh, in the, the, the early Christian history who had given up all food, renounced food, lived in the desert, had terrible lives, even when a friend came to visit them, they would break their fast to eat with their friend because there was this assumption that celebration is right in the light of, of, of friendship, in the light of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's why today even pairs up well, that we're having a feast as, as a church, right? That, that the, the, one of the ways to overcome gluttony is to put feasting and eating in its right context with relationship with others, putting pleasure in its right place. So celebration and fasting, those are two spiritual disciplines to enter into um, to overcome gluttony, which is his aside. That's one reason I love being a Christian. Celebration is a spiritual discipline in Christian history. If you want to read anything or, or develop your Christian life, you should read about that because it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the reality. Celebration, fasting, um, those two things by themselves will not help you, will not enable you to overcome the sin of, of gluttony, the vice of gluttony. We're going to have to receive something. And so there's this moment in Jesus' life when he goes, he goes to sit down um, at a well next to a woman. And uh, the woman is there at the middle of the day at a time when no one else was there, most likely because she had a reputation in town, um, a reputation of being um, sexually promiscuous. Then a few verses you learn she'd had um, several husbands, and she was living with a man now who was not her husband. And so Jesus sits down next to, the, to her at the well, and he asks her for a drink of water. And her response to him in that moment is, why are you talking to me? I'm here in the middle of the day to avoid contact. Uh, in that day, men did not speak to women. Uh, there is a very conservative uh, culture. But especially you didn't speak to sexually promiscuous women. It didn't look good. And here Jesus has started a conversation with her. Can I have a drink? Will you, will you pour, me, pour me a drink out of the well? So she says that to Jesus, why are, you, why are you talking to me? And Jesus responds to her in, in a few moments by saying to her, if you, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. 
Because I have water that if you drink it, you will never be thirsty again. And what he's saying to her in that, that moment is, listen, you, you're thirsting for human relationship, for, uh, for, for a man, for a relationship, for a husband, and every, every guy has let you down, every experience has let you down, and you are, you're not just thirsty for water, you're thirsty for more than that, and I can give it to you. And the reason he, he can give that to you, the reason why he can fill our starving souls, is, is, it's not just because he's a nice person or he's a savior, but it's because, first of all, he knows the pleasure desires that you have in your heart. He made you for them. He knows what they are. He created you for them. He doesn't find your desire for pleasure out of control. He finds it too weak. He doesn't find it too strong. He finds it too weak. And he can satisfy your deepest longings. And it's not just because he made you, but it's because he also went to a cross for us. And on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. He went thirsty for us. He went hungry for us so that you and I could know that there is a well we can drink from Not just because we're good enough or we've earned it, but because he has paid the price for us to go and have that water. The you and I, the the evidences that are all around us that we live in a hungry, a thirsty culture and we are stuffing ourselves on pleasure. And Jesus offers us all something better to drink. Let us pray. Our Father, creator of, of pleasure, uh, the inventor of laughter, the one who, whose joy was your idea. Would you forgive us for pursuing pleasure apart from you, for seeking pleasure apart from you? And we ask now that you would receive us at your table. Fill our starving selves with the salvation only Jesus provides and offers. And as we eat this meal together, would you help us to remember that a better feast is coming? So fill us with laughter, we ask. Would we celebrate your church this day? We are saved. Your strength is our joy. We have hope in you. Fill us with that truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.